Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is April 12th, Friday, 2013, and today we are reading from the big book, In the Doctor's Opinion, on page X. X-V-I-I-I, the last paragraph on the bottom, which starts men and women drink essentially. And the and today's readers are the 12 Steps, Marietta, 12 Traditions, Robin, and then Kim, Paula, Hoodie, and Sharon. And our share code for yesterday was 4256 for Thursday the 11th of April. Four two five six. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marietta to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, it's Marietta and the 12 Steps. One, we admit that we are powerless over food and that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Marietta. Thank you, Marietta. I will now ask Robin to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions are the 12 traditions. Number 1, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 2, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone in order to have a quiet meeting. Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book, and we are in the doctor's opinion on page XXVIII. And we are starting at the bottom of the page, the last paragraph starting, Men and Women Drink Essentially. And I will ask him to begin reading. Good morning, Monica. So exciting. Okay. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, 
and the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is the paragraph. This is the paragraph that set me free. I raised my hand in OA meetings for years saying, my name is Kim and I am a compulsive overeater. And what I was saying was, my name is Kim and I don't want to be fat anymore. That's what I meant. This is the definition of a compulsive overeater. This explains the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And this is the paragraph when someone is new or someone has come back 15 years and can't get it, you bring them to this paragraph. This is the paragraph that's going to let us know why we can't stop eating and why once we stop eating, we can't stop from going back. You know, it says here, it is the effect of alcohol. The fact of the matter is that food does for me what it doesn't do for other people. I forget what the food does to me because all I know is what the food does for me. I just thought I liked to eat. I just like to eat. I love the taste of Oreos. But the fact was, I went from the best bakery in the neighborhood to eating out of the trash can at work when people left and I would dig a donut out of the trash. I was eating frozen food that should be defrosted. I was eating burnt food. I was going into that trash can. So how can it be that I just like the the, um, taste? It is the effect. It is so elusive. I don't know if you've ever experienced it when you finally decide, I have to have that food, and you go to the grocery store, and you're in line, and your anxiety is so high, and you can actually feel the anxiety start to curb just knowing that binge food is in your basket. And when you get in that car and you're driving home, you can't wait till you get home. So you put a bag of it in, in, the, in the passenger seat, and you just start eating, and you can feel the anxiety leave you. That is the effect. That is that elusive that you know it's enjoys. You know that your cholesterol is high. You know that your blood pressure is high. You've been found binging in a parking lot and been embarrassed. But you cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the false. You don't know what it's like. The pain of compulsive overeating, as, as awful as it is, is less than the pain of the thought of not having that food. That food is the only thing that, quote-unquote, makes life worth living as painful as that life is. That is what it's like to be in that allergy. That is not someone who just likes to have a couple Oreos. And I'm just covering the first couple, couple sentences. We haven't even talked about the larger part of our disease, and I cannot wait to hear what everyone else is saying because this is the alcoholic torture. This is the reason that I could not get out of the food. And when I did, I always went back. This is the key to freedom, is to understand to the depth of our soul, to fully concede to our innermost self. This paragraph is my reality. And that is why I need to find a higher power. And that is why I need to work through these 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? It's Esther. 
Esther, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. This first line of this paragraph is one of my favorite lines of the big book because when I finally learned this chapter and this paragraph in particular, I finally learned the answer to my million-dollar question, which was why, why do I eat? Why am I constantly running after the food? I always thought it was because I liked food, but non-compulsive overeaters also like food. They eat as much as they want to at, at every sitting, and then they're done. But with me, it was different. I, did, I didn't eat because I liked food. I ate because I liked what food did for me, and I, I liked the effect produced by consuming my binge foods. There was a certain feeling I would get, and the authors of the big book knew about that, right? They called it, this, they said the sensation is so elusive. It's hard to describe, it's hard to capture in words, to articulate to others, but it was, it was there all right. And I was constantly chasing that effect in my binge foods. And, of course, the best bite was always the next bite and the next one and the next one. And once I would have that bite, you know, that fleeting effect was gone, and so I needed another bite and another bite. And even in my early years in recovery, when I was abstinent, I was sober but not recovered, I was still chasing that feeling. I would try to manipulate my abstinent food plan to somehow get that effect. And, of course, God is nowhere to be found in any of this, Chase, nowhere. And it wasn't until I did the steps precisely as, that they are out, as they are outlined in the big book when I finally learned what that chase was all about and how to live life so that I'm not chasing that effect over and over again. An entire psychic change, this paragraph teaches me, um, a God-centered life is going to be the answer to this breathless chase. So I don't need to do that anymore, constantly chasing for that effect, for that feeling, for that, ah, life is good now. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to share? This is Paula Mashia. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you for your service, Monica. And this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. Well, yeah, quite the paragraph, isn't it? Because we're here. We're here. We were once here. The sensation is so elusive. That while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate from the true from the false. I couldn't go to that place. Paul, this isn't going to help you. I don't care if it's a drug. I don't care if it's a drink. I don't care if it's a bite. But just that first, look at any addict or anyone, and you'll see that first. You can almost see that, ah, oh, you can't hear it. But you can see it, and you can feel it. And what does it say? That's what we want. That feeling. Until, and it says at once taking a few drinks, the sense of ease and comfort. But darn, it doesn't last. Matter of fact, it turns on you and slaps you right in the face. There it is. But wait, this part. Stages of spree. Honey, once it started, there's no stopping it, honey. It's a going. And it's taking you along for the ride, whether you want to go or not. Now there's no choice. But that part, it's repeated over and over. And as was said, and unless the person can entire an experience in entire, I love those experience, an entire psychic change. May I add, I've had psychic changes. Entire, from the very depth of me? No, and that is what's necessary, the very root of you. And with that, I do pass. Thank Hi, you, Paula. Hi, this is Sheila. May I share? Go ahead, Sheila. Hi, this is Sheila from New York, compulsive overeater. This is the magic one for me. This 
I read the, looked at the big book, and I was one of those that would pass these first few pages and get straight into Bill's story, maybe. But what a gift to be directed to look at these pages. When I read this, um, what clicked for me was that in my family of origin, food was such a comforter for us. We used food to celebrate. We used food with someone's cast. We had a big spread. If you had a funeral or, or, or something, anything that you attended to was all surrounded for food. So as I became an adult, whenever something was happy, I ate. And I was sad, I ate. Food was like the center of everything. And as I got older, I noticed that the pounds weren't going and all the things started happening. I tried to move myself away from some of the obvious things like donuts, sugar, chocolate, or so forth, move myself away from those and thought, okay, now I got this. But then I realized how I felt when I ate certain other things, certain carbs. Carbs is my drink of choice, you know, how I felt when it, you know, it's sad to say at points, it became my power, my higher power. It replaced God. And I, thought, I can't even imagine that, you know, but this program has helped me develop to be more of a spiritual person than a religious person, so I know I'm forgiven for it. But I remember many, many times that the food itself or what I was eating or how I felt when I finished eating it, that should have been me having a relationship with my higher power. I want that feeling from my HP, not from something like that. This is like a gift, this particular chapter, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie, a compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I just, this, this whole paragraph is just so good, as everyone has said. But I wanted to focus on that word, elusive. Um, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. And elusive means difficult to find, catch, or achieve. Um, success will become ever more elusive. You know, and that's, that was my experience. Once I'd been in the rooms, I was in the rooms for six years and trying, you know, at this bumbling way to get abstinent, you know, in the, the wrong way. And then, um, well, I guess it was after five years, I really went back to the food. I went full-blown into binging. And there was there was none of this um, happiness. And uh, they liked the effect produced by alcohol. Uh, so I was in that state of where it was so elusive, where I was trying desperately to just enjoy, you know, oh, well, I don't do that OA program anymore. I'm just going to enjoy my food now. Oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, I just order what I want off the menu. Won't this be fun? You know, just trying desperately to recapture the um, enjoyment of eating that I had at some point that I don't even know if it ever existed. That's what I was looking for, and I never, ever found it. Instead, I was like just a crazy person with food. And, you know, I didn't have to um, wait too long to get my binge foods because I worked in a restaurant and I was a caterer. I was messing with food all day long every day. And the fact is, is that I got abstinent and the next day I went back to work and I was still in that same restaurant still messing with food all day long, and I no longer wanted to eat it. And I was, it was, 
you know, <laughs> nothing short of a miracle that my mind snapped and it turned to understanding this program. Um, because, as it says, once we succumb to the desire again, the cr- phenomenon of craving develops. But I can tell you that if you don't succumb to that uh, craving, if you turn away and walk in the other direction from your binge fruit foods and from uh, the food you're allergic to, which for me is sugar and fat and volume, um, you can have that total psychic change. And, you know, if if you're reading this paragraph for the first time and you binged last night, I'm telling you, you can turn around today and you do not have to go back to that um, to that life. And it doesn't mean you have to move. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to burn all the binge food in your house, you know, take it to a food bank. You will not want to eat that food. That is the freedom that we have. Those of us who are recovered and talking on this line, do not cringe and do not fear seeing food. We don't want it anymore. It is an entire psychic change brought about by relationship with your higher power. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share? It's Linda Lena. I'd like to share. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I've, I've, okay. Um, I did not catch anybody's names. So let's try again. Helena. Helena. Okay. Who else? Linda M. Linda. Was there someone else? Well, I just wanted to know what paragraph you're talking about. We are on page XXVIII, the last paragraph on the page, Men and Women Drink. Okay, thank you so much because I came in you're, a little you're, late. You're welcome. Okay, Helena, go ahead, and then Delinda. Good morning, this is Helena in South Jersey. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I would have denied this, and yet it was true when I was in my active disease. Um, to them, the alcoholic life seems the only normal one. And I, can, I know from my own experience uh, within my own body and mind and from the experience of living with other compulsive overeaters and other addicts that, I, that um, as someone once said to me, Elena, I just want to feel better for a few minutes. And for that sensation, I would sacrifice everything just to feel better for a few minutes. What seems normal to me and what seems normal to many compulsive overeaters is that when life is stressful, when something terrible happens, then I turn to food. That's the reason why I did it, because it seems normal to me that there is a connection with excess food and binging on those things that make me feel better and an event that happened in my life. There is no connection except in the brain of the compulsive overeater of the addict. There is no connection between the fact that my husband has just told me he wants to leave me and wanting to eat more food. There is no connection. And yet, in my mind, it's perfectly obvious. Isn't this normal? That when something terrible happens, when something joyful happens, I want to eat. So we are unable to differentiate the normal, the true from the false. What is abnormal seems normal to us. 
I've heard people say, what's wrong with wanting my food to taste wonderful? What's wrong with just wanting that feeling of being full? And again, I just want to feel better for a few minutes. And there is nothing wrong with any of those things except that we cannot do them. I cannot, my goal cannot be to feel full. I will never feel full. I will never stop eating. My goal cannot be just to feel better for a few minutes because my solution because of my disease is that equates with eating food that will kill me and in a way that will kill me. But we are going to be told in the very next paragraph that there is hope, even for those of us who have a totally abnormal past. Thank you, Helena. Linda, go ahead. Hi, I'm Linda. Um, I was off sugar for a whole year. I felt wonderful. Um, I no longer had the cravings. But unfortunately, my son's fiance made a cake and begged me and begged me, and I kept saying no. Finally, I gave in, and I thought, well, one taste won't hurt me. Well, what a lie. I had a taste, and it stirred up the cravings. The cravings took me over for two years. I liked the effect of the sugar. I liked the high feeling I got from it, meaning the energy. And then finally I realized it was poison, what I was doing to myself. And even though it gave me comfort as well, I knew I could no longer eat it. So I have been off sugar. I am feeling much better. And I love this paragraph. It teaches us also that we're not normal eaters. I am not a normal eater. I cannot have a little bit. Just a little bit sets me off and running. And I'm glad to be at this meeting. I'm new to it. And thank you. I I pass. Thank you, Linda. Um, We've pretty much seemed to have been... uh, talking about the first three sentences here. So does anybody else want to share on what's said in these first three sentences? And then we're going to take a sentence at a time. Judith? Judith, go ahead. Hi. Good morning. It's Judith, compulsive reader in Vermont. I just um, looked up impunity, and it simply means without punishment. And I used to resent the heck out of people who could eat whatever they want, whenever they wanted. And the irony was, they could eat whatever they want, whenever they wanted it, and they didn't even take advantage of it because they didn't really care. It just was so unfair, I thought. And now, I just look at it as, they have other catastrophic problems. And I have this disease. I'm actually so left that I have this disease instead of some of the other diseases out there. I could have kidney problems and have to go to dialysis three times a week. Instead, I go to meetings three times a week at least and get hugs. I am am very lucky that of all the various diseases in the world, I got this one. And so when I see others eating with impunity, God bless them, and thank you, God, that I don't have to eat that stuff anymore. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judith. Would anyone else like to share on the first three sentences of this paragraph?
Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Right. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, 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 yes. There is a certain effect I'm looking for. Um, there is a numbing out, a sedation, an anesthetic feel that I go for. There are certain foods uh, that give me that feeling. Um, I like farm fresh vegetables. I really do. But uh, that's not what I go for. That's not what I would go, you know, in the middle of the night, clean off my car in a snowstorm and drive out for some fresh Brussels sprouts. There are certain foods I go for. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. What is that effect? It's a numbing out. It's an anesthetic. I am seeking the ease and comfort that I find in that cellophane bag and in that bakery box. It's It allows me to just release all the anxiety and tension of living life on life's terms. I'm uncomfortable on this planet. We have a rough time living. I don't have a rough time compulsive overeating. I know how to do that very, very well. We have a rough time living. So we're seeking the sense of ease and comfort that we get from certain substances. It's not just a taste sensation. There is more going on than just a taste sensation. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. While that sensation is mysterious and while I admit it is pain, there comes pain and suffering. There's physical pain and suffering. There's obesity, uh, high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol. Some of us uh, get diabetic. Some of us, uh, you know, take it down other roads such as laxative abuse and purging and and the whole the whole realm of you know eating disorders while admin is injurious they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false to them their alcoholic life seems the normal one this is the way we're living is there any other way to live this is the way we live this is what we've been doing for a long long time many of us uh began this disease myself included as a kid live life i don't know how to do that i don't know how to do that but i know i know how to dig my fist into a cellophane bag and to me this seems like a normal life to me this is normal and you know this is a disease that tells us we don't have a disease you know, so we get used to we get used to this kind of living. We adapt to this kind of living. This is the life we live. And um, I'm not going to go further because I know we're going to highlight other other sentences. But it's important to realize the setup here as they describe the disease cycle. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And let's move on to the next sentence here. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. And would anyone like to share on this sentence? Star one to unmute. 
this is Helena. May I share? Go ahead, Helena. Okay, I only have a little bit to say about this, and that is that I compare what my body is doing as a as someone who has an abnormal reaction to food with with other people who have do not have this reaction. And I also like to compare what I'm eating with other compulsive overeaters. This is why it's so important that I need to know what my particular problem is, not what anyone else's is. And of course, because of the denial, and because I cannot differentiate, and because I don't want to really know the truth sometimes, it means that I want to compare others. I want to try over and over that desperate experiment of doing what other people do when I know that it has not worked for me. And just because someone can do something with impunity does not mean that I can do it with impunity. I need to know the truth. And uh, the, the earlier in the paragraph, it says that I can't differentiate the false from the truth. And the truth is that I need to know what it is that sets me off. And I need to accept that I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows. Yes. Can I share in the same sentence? Yes, go ahead. And your name? This is, this is Rochelle. Rochelle, um, go ahead. Yeah, so what brings to mind to me is resentment. Namely, I was in a situation recently where someone, I described something that I was doing to somebody, and they they got outraged a little bit, and they started airing resentments that I should have over the situation. And um, I had to work really hard not to be in resentment or accept those that what was aired at me as, as my point of view. And instead, I had to work at being grateful that I was in the situation that I, I, I was in. And... Um, and I could only do that with the help of my higher power. For me, being in resentment, it's like the guy who's in the bar and and other people are drinking, and and I can't afford I can't afford to drink. I can't afford to imbibe resentment. That's it. I'll pass. Thank you, Rochelle. This I'm I'm going to jump in here on this. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Restless, irritable, abnormally sensitive, discontented, unhappy, unsatisfied, frustrated. What they're talking here is someone who's put the food down or put the alcohol down, and suddenly they're feeling life. They're feeling everything, and we become very restless, we're irritable, we're unhappy with everything, we're very sensitive, we're very touchy, we're unhappy, rid, restless, irritable, and discontented. And our what has our solution always been? Our solution has always been to turn to food. And why are we turning to that food? We want that sense of ease and comfort. We want the effect that's produced by the food. We want that something that we think it's going to give us which it did maybe for a nanosecond, you know, 30 years ago. And then I spent the rest of my life trying to, again, experience that elusive feeling and never could. And I just found myself eating more and more and faster and faster and more and more and faster and faster. And I never could find it. That's the crazy insanity, baffling aspect of this disease. But here they're saying they're restless, irritable, and discontented. You've put the food down, but you're not, you haven't recovered. You know, you're stark, raving abstinent. 
And this is where we have to pick up the, the, the steps and work through the steps and get God, get a power into our life, because we're truly powerless here over this. This is unmanageability. This is crazy. Drinks which they see others taken with impunity. You know, we have a disease. We are different, chemically, biologically, or whatever, that when we ingest a binge food, we are going to go off. Normal people do not have this. And we just have to accept the fact. It's a fact. This is the way it is. And I'm going to pass with that. And would anyone else like to share on this sentence before we move on? This is Judy Janet. I heard Kim, Verid, wait a minute, Verid, Kim, Janice, Lisa, Lisa, and I think there was somebody else. Judy B. Judy B. Okay, Verid, and then Kim, and then I'll list the others. Hi, this is Verid, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, this paragraph is so meaningful for me. It reminds me the problem with uh, with uh, overeating, with uh, the, this kind of addiction, even if it's alcoholic or whatever, is that we forget how we felt like a second ago yesterday. I promised myself I'm not gonna touch the food again, and there I do touch it. Thank God, not anymore. And I'm not like any other person. When I came to the program and I really wanted to be thinner, to look nicer, I remember that that's what I came for. That was the goal. My only problem was an eating problem. That's it. I'm just fat. I cannot stop eating. But I didn't think I had a problem much deeper than that. And we know today, I know today, that the allergy of the body is the tiny part of the illness. The greater part is the um, is obsession of the mind. When I came and I remember that I was told I had to read, and even working with my um, sponsor now, she had me write on, on, on next to that paragraph, the powerlessness of our disease unmanageability. And I remember saying, what are you talking about? I cannot manage my life. I'm married. I have kids. I work. I just have a problem with eating. And I just need to stop eating and lose weight, and I'm going to be fine. But this paragraph really, really illustrates the depth of this illness. It doesn't stop with just gaining weight. It's a whole other thing, restless, irritable, and discontented. And how can a person who very easily, all the time, feel restless, irritable, and discontented um, communicate with the world, be a nice person, have a gratitude of, an attitude of, of gratitude? Um, it's very unpleasant to be next to a person who is all the time restless, irritable, and discontented. And not only that, the quantities I had to eat from that, you know, elusiveness that we just read about before, just growing and growing and growing, and it doesn't give me the peace it used to in the past. I'm not like any other person. I'm a different person. Most of the world are not um, addicts, and I am an addict. And my only way to really 
get over that is by putting the food down because there's no other way, recognizing what my binge foods are, not touching them whatsoever, and quickly, quickly jump into going through the, the process of doing the steps to really take care of the root of the disease, which is the obsession of the mind. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Verit. Kim, you go ahead, and then it'll be Janice. Thanks, Monica. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. This is why I need the 12 steps. This is why I need a guide. I've stopped hundreds and hundreds of times. I can't stay stopped. This is describing the pain of being abstinent. When I am abstinent, I am restless. I am irritable. I am discontented. Life is so uncomfortable. I need to pick up that food. Because if I simply have this allergy, I could stop eating and all the symptoms would go away. I discovered a few years ago that I get headaches when I have caffeine. I simply stopped having products that had caffeine. I don't think about it. I avoid it when I go to a party. I ask what the sodas, you know, oh, my gosh, if I have caffeine and I can't have it, I don't want to have a headache. That's it. I'm done. Nothing. But when it comes to my binge foods, it doesn't matter if I have a headache. It doesn't matter if I have extreme consequences. And it's not that I don't remember. I have a delusion that this time it will be different. I believe the lie. I believe that it will give me that ease and comfort. It's the delusion. You know, we have a chapter called There is a Solution. And I would think, my God, you don't understand. I have so many problems. How could there be one solution? But the fact was there was always one solution. Now, maybe one day it was a ding-dong and one day it was a Dorito, but it always was the food. And the fact was that my problem wasn't the food and the weight. My problem began when the food was down. My problem began when the food was down because then I had to deal with life without that anesthesia. I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I could only take that for so long. And then I would get back and I would say, no, 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 I can do this. I would succumb. It says you succumb. I make that decision. This slipping and sliding is a bunch of BS that we use. That's part of the delusion I'm slipping and sliding. I'm making that decision that I am going to get that ease and comfort above all the consequences that I know, all the consequences that I know, because that delusion, that ease and comfort is going to be worth it because I am so restless. I am so irritable. I am so discontented. Please, please take that away. Cow gun, take me away. So this is why I need the 12 steps. If I just had the allergy, it would be academic. I would simply make the decision not to have those foods and I would go on. Just the same way I decided not to have caffeine. No big deal. So this is why we need the 12 steps. This is why we need a higher power in our life. So we have another place to go for ease and comfort. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Janice, and then it will be Lisa. Janice, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. 
So I don't know about your disease, but here's a picture of mine. Here's a picture of mine. You know, that, that sensation that I finally admitted it was injurious, that what I was doing was injuring me. I didn't like being fat. I didn't like not being able to shop for suit clothes. I didn't like the way my body looked. I thought, okay, it's time. It's time. I know I've tried this before, but this time it's going to be different. This time I'm really going to do this thing. And I would stop eating my binge foods. Some new diet plan that I'd found was going to be the answer. And then I used to think to myself, oh, my God, I've become a jerk magnet. All of a sudden... All the jerks in the world came out. You know, my boss has it in for me, and that that client's always making snide comments, and and my coworkers, oh, I think they're I think they're out to get me. I think they're trying to get my job. And what's with that bank bank teller? You know, she's got an attitude too. You know, and pretty soon, life was really uncomfortable. And pretty soon, the idea of driving through that fast food lane began to look pretty good to me. Looked pretty good to me. And I'd start to get excited. You know, that little buzz would start. What am I going to have? What am I going to have? No, no, no. I said I wasn't going to do that. What am I going to have? No, I said I wasn't going to. And there I'd be. You know, and I'd, I'd go through that drive through lane, and I'd want to say, do you have something for abstinence? Do you, you have something I can eat here that for sobriety? Because I couldn't stand it anymore. I couldn't stand it anymore. And I take that first bite, and yeah, oh, other people are going through this fast food line. Other people are getting getting something and, and a meal, and well, maybe I'm getting two meals, but, you know, they're getting something, and I can do it too. Can't I? Can't I do it too? Life is just too hard today. Just today, life is too hard. Well, guess what? This this sentence, this paragraph is describing me to a T. To a T. I needed to eat because I needed something for abstinence. I need something to treat that place where I didn't have the food anymore. And there wasn't anything else. There wasn't anything else. So food was my only solution. And it had begun to seem like the normal one. And even when I knew it was injuring me, even when I knew I didn't want it anymore, I couldn't stop. And that's where it got frightening. Because then I was caught in this cycle over and over and over again. And I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop myself from starting again. And I couldn't stop. And I didn't know what else to do. And little did I know that what I had was a spiritual problem, a disease, a physical allergy coupled with a mental obsession. Thank God. Thank God for the solution. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Lisa, you're up next, and then Judy. Hi, this is Lisa from Colorado. So grateful to be on this meeting. You know, when I first got abstinent, I was restless, irritable, and discontented, and all it was was me. I didn't really have God to fill me up and that's really what I'm finding through this process is I am I'm having that sense of ease and comfort which could only come from filling myself up you know it was my very best thinking that got me into this disease and um, 
I, I've read journals from back when I wasn't abstinent. Man, I was in a lot of pain and suffering. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't having the mental clarity that I have now. And now um, that I am abstinent, I can really work on my relationship with God. And it's by coming on this meeting that I'm really hearing that people are being filled up with God. That's the sense of ease and comfort that I'm having today is getting filled up with God. And that's, that's the biggest buzz I've ever had in my whole life is having that God buzz. And I want to keep doing it. And uh, uh, I do weigh and measure my food. That is where my abstinence comes from. But whatever way people are abstinent, it's only through um, surrendering my life to God and giving the third and seventh step prayer and trying to live in God's will all through the day. And, and when I do get irritable, restless, and discontent and asking God, what's the next right action? I'm on my knees and saying, okay, God, give me that intuitive thought. And if I wasn't abstinent, there's no way I could have those God thoughts. You know, God gives me um, solutions that I never I would have made up with my mind before I was abstinent. Because, again, that very best thinking was agony. And being abstinent, being uh, struck uh, stone-cold abstinent, that was uh, very difficult, but there was nothing like being in the food. And um, that very best thinking, that was the heart of my disease. And I never want to get back into the heart of my disease. I want to get into the heart of God. And, and hopefully, you know, as I keep coming back, and God said, get up. At 5 o'clock every morning, you do that meeting. And I said, what? I don't even know what this a vision for you meeting is. But I started listening, and that's where I found God. I had, I had a relationship with God before then, but it's just amazing what this uh, process is doing for me. And I have done the big book step study process. I made my last amend a few weeks ago, my last major amend. But I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep bringing, uh, I'm going to see what God has for me today and the next day and the next day. And I can only do that abstinent. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Lisa. Judy B., go ahead, please. Good morning. This is Judy B., a recovered compulsive overeater. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. And the words ease and comfort just scream at me um, because I was not a good dieter. I um, I hear so many people talking about being um, stock raving abstinent. I, I just I didn't diet well. I um, un- unless unless I knew that um, that the ease and comfort would come without uh, getting into the food. I I just couldn't do it. Um, sometimes I questioned whether I was really a compulsive overeater because. I just couldn't um, binge and binge and binge and and experience all of the discomfort that some people are able to talk about because I was too much into wanting that ease and comfort. And, and I questioned, am I really a compulsive overeater? And yet, thank God, through um, working through the big book and, and finally understanding what a real compulsive overeater is, I definitely know that I am one because I just, I, I cannot exist uh, without getting back into the food, even though the doctor would say, you know, you do not, you know, this is not good for you. You need to lose weight. I, I wasn't able to lose weight. I, I just, I wasn't able to lose it. And finally, it became clear to me 
that I was insane. I was insane because I was, I was grazing. I was just eating enough food over and over and over again so that I thought I was comfortable. I, I couldn't handle the, um, the daily living. I, I just couldn't handle that. I loved when uh, Leah talked about we need to numb out to feel uh, sedation, and, and it's like an antiseptic. That's what it did for me, but with little bits over and over and over and over. And even though um, we all experience this disease in different ways, we all have this, this phenomenon of craving and this need, this need to, to feel this ease and discomfort, the ease and comfort. It just, I, I'm just so grateful that now I understand this, that, that everybody has different ways that they try to make themselves feel this ease and comfort, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't all come together until we just trust that God will give us this ease and comfort. He will satisfy us in a way that the food just never, never, never can. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to have, to have found this program and to have found the 12 steps so that... Um, so that I could come to that point where he was able to change my thinking and, and I was able to experience life without needing that, uh, that grazing, which I had done for years and years and years and totally ruined my health. So I'm just so grateful for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Paula, could, would you um, reread the last of the paragraph here, starting with, after they have succumbed? I would be glad to. After they had succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass, pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Uh, to share on that, and perhaps I'm repeating ourselves, but didn't this disease repeat itself over and over and over again? But there it is. After they have succumbed, there it is, to the desire again, as so many do. So I was not the few with the few that didn't. I was with the many that do. And the phenomenon of craving develops. And there it is. Slowly, quickly. But it will develop. I don't care if it's an old Polaroid from the 50s or it's a digital camera today. Develop it will. They pass through the well-known stages. Now, this is the insanity. Like I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh, I knew full well. I knew full well what would happen when that was triggered. Honey, put the bullet in the thing, and there it goes. The trigger's pulled now. The bullet has no place to go. It must do what it does. And I, the addict, did what I did. Emerging remorseful with a firm re resolution, oh, honey, this was never going to happen again till the next time. Not to drink again. And then it says clearly this is repeated over and over Insanity? Mm-hmm. And unless this person can experience 
an entire psychic change. There is very little hope on his recovery. That entire psychic change that they talk about, and on 567, you can talk about it, you can read it. But once you experience it, the spiritual experience, and live it, and there the entire psychic change. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on the end of this paragraph? Rose. This is Leah. Rose and then Leah. Thank you, Monica. This is Rose, a compulsive reader. Um, on this sentence, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. And briefly, I just want to say the time and energy and will that I put into this firm resolution not to eat compulsively again not to eat like a pig as I had for years, not to eat as a weak-willed. There was a world personality I had, worldly personality to the people, and then there was the one that I lived with 24-7, this weak-willed person who was in a body of uh, 250 pounds or so, who made a firm resolution for over 60 years to not eat in a certain way, well knowing it was a defense and a buffer against life. And the energy spent and the time spent and the diet spent and the uh, diet groups gone to and the diet doctors gone to and the amphetamines taken trying it with drugs, without drugs, trying it over and over and over again until the breakdown came that I couldn't do it. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't do it. And then the miracle of the uh, program took place. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Leah, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. I know we're... (laughs) running out of time here. I'm sure we'll revisit this. It deserves a lot of time. Uh, they are, I just want to back up on, on the sentence prior first, please. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they again experience a sense of ease and comfort. Why am I restless, irritable, and discontent? Well, the big book tells me all about that. I mean, on page 52, it tells me what's going on behind the scenes. I'm having trouble with personal relationships. I can't control my emotional nature. I'm prey to misery and depression. I can't make a living. I have a feeling of uselessness. I'm full of fear. I'm unhappy. I can't seem to be of real help to other people. Okay, you know, that boils down to restless ear and discontent. There is something going on here uh, beyond the bakery boxes and the cellophane bags. So they are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can again experience that sense of ease and comfort. Remember, when I dip my fist into that bag in that box, um, I'm getting a sensation that rushes through me that allows me to take a deep breath and it anesthetizes me. Food, those food substances instantly change my perception of reality. It gives me a sense of ease and comfort. 
which comes at once by taking a few drinks, in our case, our specific binge foods, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. Other people can sit around the Thanksgiving table. Other people can sit around, you know, and uh, ingest those foods, and they don't have consequences. I have consequences. You know, I have uh, divorce threats. I have health consequences. I have emotional turmoil. I have mental torture. It goes on to say, after they have succumbed to the desire again, I am making a decision. I am succumbing. To succumb means to, uh, to yield, to give way to. I am making a decision. Here is where it's mental. After they have succumbed, I'm making the decision. The brownie does not catapult itself off the counter and down my gullet. After they have succumbed to the desire again, this is what I long for. This is what I want. I desire this. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, and we know that is the allergy of the body, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to do this again, not to drink again. You know, I, I would make that firm resolution. I would say, you know, I've had enough, no more. That's it, the end, I'm through. You know, the plug is in the jug. Everybody's going to be happy now. And all of a sudden, I would change my mind. And taking a bite of my binge food seemed like the best idea I had had in a long time. Uh, you know, with a firm resolution not to drink again, this is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, what is an entire psychic change? An entire psychic change is a spiritual awakening. Well, how the heck do you get one of those? Well, you get that through the implementation of the steps. A spiritual awakening is a personality change. It is a psychic change. They all mean the same thing, personal, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience, a personality change, all means the same thing. There is very little hope of his recovery. You know, what if we can find a way to live where our mind doesn't lock on that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a piece of our binge foods? And that process is called recovery. And that's what this whole thing is all about. That's what implementing the steps in recovery process is all about. Because the conditions of our mind led us continuously back to compulsive overeating. Now, what if we can change from restless, irritable, and discontent to something entirely different? That will mean we will have had a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Thanks for the time, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And, Hoodie, can you read a vision for you, please? Certainly, Monica. This is Hoodie, compulsive overeater. Um, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great facts for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. 
Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, thank you, and I